You're listening to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com. How's it going, everybody? This is the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm your host, Ty Daubert. We're coming at you with a brand new episode. Uh, We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. It'll be up by Wednesday. And the Phillies, they just made a new move, adding to their bullpen potentially. Um, But as always, I am joined by my co-host, Johnny Heller, who's going to hop on here, and we're going to talk about this move along with some other stuff. Uh, Johnny, what's going on, man? Nothing much, Ty. Uh, It's cold outside. Yeah, very, very cold, but... You know, the stove is very hot with, like I said, the Phillies <laughs> just added a reliever, adding Drew Storin on a minor league deal. Storin, as you probably all know, he was the closer for the Nationals when when they were, well, they're still, you know, they've been good. But when they first started to get good around 2012, Drew Storin was their closer. Um you know, he hasn't pitched in the big leagues since 2017 because of injuries. But, Johnny, I want to know what you think of this move for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I'm intrigued a little bit. Uh, Storin hasn't pitched since 2017. Um, had Tommy John surgery and was recovering 2018. Pitched in A last year for the Royals, I think, but got beat up a little bit. Um, I'm like... Probably probably won't actually make the team, I don't think, unless he is able to find the 94 mile per hour, miles per hour he was throwing in 2014 before he lost his velocity. And his slider is filthy, um, or it was filthy at least, so I don't know. It's, it's a move, I guess. Yeah, it's a move. I, I mean, I guess there's really no hurt signing somebody like this. The Phillies obviously saw something in Storin. Maybe it was that um, that slider that you talked about was very good at one point. Storin, um, I would say, is most notable or most famous for blowing Game 5 of the 2012 National League Division Series, and then he blew another game in the 2014 Division Series, I think. So, you know, when the Nationals' curse of never being able to make it past the division series before this season, whenever that was brought up, uh, Drew Storen was always kind of at the root of that, it looked like. But, you know, other than that, he did have some really good seasons early on in his career. Um, he, He was pretty good up until 2015, and then 16 and 17, it kind of went downhill at least a little bit 2014 was his best year he had a 1.12 ERA in 65 games so well, it was definitely very good at one point and the Phillies are going to hope that he can kind of get some of that back but it's doubtful but maybe at some point he'll come up but definitely doesn't hurt as like a depth piece if he sticks in AAA yeah and you know we've talked about it um last couple episodes the Phillies are done um, making any big moves they have depending on how the arbitration hearings go with JT Real Muto and Hector Neris they have somewhere between uh, three million and six million dollars left before they exceed the luxury tax which they're not going to uh, they're not going to do that so they're not going to be making any major moves 
So it's expect a lot of these types of moves, you know, reaching out to, to veteran players and, and bring them in on minor league deals. Yeah, like, like you said, they're going to take some gambles on dudes, but they are they're, they're pretty much done. Um, that kind of leads us into what we wanted to talk about next. A lot of people uh, getting excited about Nolan Arenado and Chris Bryant. Uh, they're obviously you know, rumored to maybe be getting traded at some point this offseason. Arenado just uh, kind of blasted his GM, I believe, saying that he was he's getting disrespected, and it seems that he is not happy in Colorado, and still rumors, like I said, about Bryant getting traded. Um, I don't think that the Phillies will get either one of these guys. Honestly, I doubt ne- that either of them get traded by the end of this offseason. Maybe Arenado, like that timeline has sped up a little bit because of what just went down. But oh, the Phillies seem done. I don't know why people would think that they are really in on either of these guys if they weren't in on on um, Rendon or Donaldson or anybody like that they, that they could have just gotten for money. I don't see why they would give up prospects and have to pay big salaries for either one of these guys, and I think you would agree with me as well. Yeah, I, I certainly would. Um, you know, I don't it, – it doesn't make sense. You're, you're paying – You'd be paying thirty-five million dollars a year to Arenado, and you know, not quite that to Bryant, but it'd be like twenty this year, probably high twenties next year, based on arbitration. And then both of them could walk after that, um, and you're giving up a lot of prospects and assets. Uh, probably at least two of of Kingery, Scott Kingery, Alec Bohm, and Spencer Howard have to go on one of those trades, which def- probably more so in. The Arenado, Arenado trade, yeah, just because longer, longer deal and better player. Well, maybe not a longer deal though. I actually think, I actually think that Arenado's deal, the way his contract is set up, it, it makes him, it would lessen his value if anything, because, you know, if he if he were to you know go to a different team and then struggle for two years, he can just opt in for those the next five years, and then you're stuck with him, and then if he's really good. He opts out, you know. I don't know. There's definitely just more risk in that. Um, obviously, you wouldn't expect him to not be great, but yeah, things happen. Yeah. So I, it just it wouldn't make sense unless you know last off season the Phillies were not in on Yasmani Grandal, they were really not in on JT Real Muto, and then you know. Late January, early February came around, and the Marlins significantly lowered their asking price for Real Muto because they knew they wanted to trade him then, and the Phillies went in and got him because they thought it was a fair price. So I guess there's a tiny bit of precedent for for something like this where the the Phillies swoop in, even though um, they hadn't been looking for an upgrade at that position earlier in the offseason. But I still think, you know, like we both said, both of these guys are going to cost a lot of money and a lot of prospects, and it would it would really leave you wondering why not just sign Rendon to that seven year, two hundred forty five million dollar contract, and then you know if you want to want to trade Bone because you can't fit him into your lineup, get a starting pitcher. It it just feels inefficient. But yeah, know. yeah, I would agree with you. My only um, you know other point I want to make is it seemed like 
A lot of teams were not super in on signing Grandal to a big contract, um, whether that be because of the kind of defensive mistakes he made in uh, 2018 postseason or whatever it was. A lot of, you know, he ended up taking a one-year prove-it deal because a lot of teams were not super in on giving him a big contract. And um, I think I think last offseason, if you would have asked a lot of people who's better, Real Muto or Grandal, they would have said Real Muto by far. But right. I think Grandal this season really kind of closed that gap, whether that is right or wrong, at least the perception was that, uh, is now that he has closed the gap a little bit and Rio Mito isn't as far much better. So maybe that played into it a little bit, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, maybe there's a possibility because they did do it kind of with Rio Mito last season. But they were also big. They were also big spenders last offseason. And they've been big spenders yeah. this offseason too. But last offseason, it felt like they were aggressively in on everybody. Everyone, yep. They were connected to everyone, at least. And this year, it just felt like they were maybe connected to people, like, outside chance, but it didn't feel real. Like, last year, it felt like the Phillies were super in on nearly every big name, and they were. And it just wasn't that way this offseason. Yeah. I guess the one thing, like, if Aaron, I guess Arenado feels more the most like like the most likely guy to be traded right now. Where do you think he would go? I'm I guess St. Louis is probably um, where people have talked about most. St. Louis maybe I don't know. Could the Braves get it done? I doubt they want to take so much contract. Yeah, they didn't the even Braves. The Braves have what it takes to get it done, but they're they're not going to want to pay that money. I don't think. Yeah, I. I completely agree there. They don't seem like the they just because of how they it seems like they weren't super in on Donaldson even. They they Goodness. might not be the team. Um maybe the range how's the Rangers farm system looking? Cuz they like that's the kind of move I feel like they'd want to make because I doubt they make I doubt they make it though be, just because That's true. they didn't pay Rendon. They didn't even pay Rendon who yeah. is had a better year than yeah, not last the, season. That's the thing. You know, you look at how many teams were in on Rendon which really wasn't that many and you'd the only teams that it would make sense to trade for a guy like Arenado is teams that were on in in on Rendon and and missed him. So I mean maybe I doubt the Ro- the Rockies would most definitely not want to trade him in division, but the Dodgers would make sense um, in terms of the fact that they have always have a great farm system and they haven't really done much this off season. But they won't know, do I don't it. know. They won't do it. No, probably not. They 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 were in on Rio Muto last season until they weren't. Whether that was because of prospects or they didn't want to extend him afterwards, it just doesn't seem like. They want to sign or get yeah, any, the, the Dodgers huge. are fraudulent. Like in terms of they, they just don't sign anybody. And you know the fact that they're still this good is kind of a, yeah. a testament to their player development and their scouting and things like that. But they are fake in on yeah, everybody. everybody. <laughs> they're they're just fake in. They are they don't spend um, on anybody from the outside ever. 
Yeah. But back to the Phillies, I think how they have gone about this offseason, you know, I don't I don't know where the front office is or, or, or ownership really is. We don't really know exactly where they are in the luxury tax. But I I wouldn't be surprised if they were willing to go go over for, you know, a star player. I think that maybe how the Phillies have handled third base shows how uh, highly they feel about Alec Bohm. Um, you know, I don't. I, they seem pretty confident in in his ability to play third base. That really remains to be seen. Uh, but you know, it, it, he can hit, and maybe they're just content with with going ahead with. You know, he's cheap and really good, and they don't feel that they. That's where they need to upgrade right now. Yeah, Bohm was actually just named uh, the top third base pro- prospect by MLB Pipeline, when you go and you look at the list of the top 10 at the position, I believe that he is the only one that's listed as third base slash first base, so <laughs> maybe that's not the the best thing. There's one listed at third base slash second base, but he's the only third base slash first base, which shows even the evaluators um, they from MLB Pipeline they like his bat a lot, but the questions are there about third base. But from everything the Phillies have, have said, um, they seem to be sold on the fact that he can play third. Um, you might as well try it out, though, because third base yeah. is probably their weakest position. Right now, Kingery can do it. It's probably his worst position that he that he can play. Not that he's even horrible at uh, it just yeah it's it's definitely where he i think look has looked the least comfortable but he also he looked pretty uncomfortable at shortstop in 2018 and he just played there a lot and got a lot better yeah same by, thing in center field by the end of the year in 2018 i think he became a pretty good shortstop and he did it well in a pinch last season too yeah and i think a lineup with kingery in center and bohm at third is just a better hitting lineup than one with Hazley in center and Kingery at third. And, you know, it, like I said, I think the Phillies are obviously high on Bohm and even start to wonder, you know, if, if Bohm is just incredible in, in spring training, do you think there's any shot that he would make the team on opening day? Uh, I do think there is a shot, but at the same time, he's never played a game above double A. So maybe even if he has a good spring, Maybe the Scott Kingery experience, um, you know, scares the team off a little bit because 2018 Kingery was amazing in spring training and his rookie season did not go quite as well and he probably could have benefited from a little more minor league time. So maybe they just want to start Bohm in AAA just to get him some more at-bats against against the highest, uh, you know, competition and also the service time thing wouldn't hurt as well. So I think it's more likely that he comes up in May or so. But I think there is an outside shot if he can kind of prove that he's the best option they have at, yeah, I mean, at third. I mean, Kingery's spring training got him that contract extension. Yeah, with, <laughs> well, that that's going to end up looking like a, a steal for the Phillies. It looked Absolutely. that way then. And even if Kingery is just a a bench guy that's a, a valuable deal to have. Well, if Kingery if if 2019 is Kingery's offensive ceiling, which it isn't because 
you know, he struck out 30% of the time. I think he can probably improve there at least, at least marginally. Um, even, even with that, you know, he's an above average defender at four positions, at least four positions, probably six. And I mean, he doesn't probably doesn't have the, a great arm for, for center and or for right and left, but still, um, he's a Ben Zobris type of player. And those players are super valuable. Um, even if they can only hit a little bit and he can hit a pretty, he has some pop and I don't know, I guess we don't have to talk too much about Scott Henry, but that contract is, is definitely looking like it was the right move to me. Yeah. And you know, we've, we're talking so much about bone and Kingery and what they can do. And the point I've said this to you before, um, kind of the point I want to, I want to make before we probably move on to our next topic the the team is much more well uh they're they're like much more equipped to handle an injury or ineffectiveness than they were last season because of Kingery and Bohm. Like if Didi Gregorius is not good this season or he re injures himself or something, because he obviously was not great last season and most people think that he'll be able to bounce back this season coming off the injury. But if Gregorius is not good, they can just slide Kingery to shortstop and bring Bohm up to play third. If McCutcheon were to get hurt uh, or something, if he were to get hurt again, they can move Kingery out to left field or move him to center, and then Hazley picks up the other outfield spot, and they move Alec Bohm up and play him at third. Just kind of Bohm being ready and Kingery's Uh, you know, defensive versatility, that makes things a lot easier for the team. They can get, they can be flexible and they can get a little bit creative if anybody's ineffective or gets hurt. And I think that's really, really important for this team. And that's, you know, two valuable players to have, assuming that Alec Bohm is not dealt in any trade because he's, his bat is definitely legit. And if he can play third, that can that that's huge that's huge for the team absolutely um and and that's just i just wanted to ask you this before we move on do you think when bohm because they're probably not going to trade bohm and when bohm does come up in may or whenever it is do you think kingry becomes the everyday center fielder or do you think they put kingry and Hazley in a platoon situation, and then on the days where Hazley starts in center, they maybe, you know, give McCutcheon a day off and put Kingery in left, or give Segura a day off, put Kingery at second. Um, I think he's probably mostly the center fielder, but they also might move him around. Um, I think if Gabe Kapler was still the manager, he'd definitely be all for moving Kingery around all the time. But also maybe Girardi wants him to just play center field every day it'll it'll also depend on the performance of everybody else in season as well so I think it's a little too early to tell but I'm gonna lean towards mostly center with Kingery then moving around a little bit yeah I think I agree with that um you know there there are that's assuming everyone's healthy and producing uh I do think that the most likely because you know you listed all the potential scenarios of, you know, McCutcheon getting re-injured or Gregoria struggling. I think the most likely scenario is that Hazley is the worst hitter on the team. Um, so it'll be a pretty natural move once Bum comes up just to make Kingery the starting center fielder. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I'd agree with that, I think. 
Um, but yeah, that'll pretty much wrap up the current Phillies talk that we have, the offseason stuff. Um, now we're going to move on to something a little bit different. Johnny and I, um, you know, obviously it is Hall of Fame time right now. You'll probably be listening to this on Wednesday and the Hall of Fame, you know, the results of the Hall of Fame election will already have been announced, but we're recording on Tuesday afternoon, just a couple of hours away from the announcement. So Johnny and I are going to let you know what our ballots are. If we had a Hall of Fame vote, we obviously do not, but... Speak for yourself. (laughs) All right, so I obviously do not, Johnny might but we're we're gonna tell you our ballots and um we went over them already they're pretty similar but i'm gonna i'm gonna go first and just tell you guys my ballot so here we go for 2020 baseball hall of fame i would vote for barry bonds roger clemens Derek jeter andrew jones manny ramirez scott Rowland, kurt schilling sammy sosa Billy Wagner, and Larry Walker. Johnny, what do you got for your ballot? Yeah. And then we'll discuss. So just before I go into this, me and Ty were, you know, we were comparing, comparing our ballots earlier, and they're the same exact thing except for one player. And it just, it's a matter, like, me and Ty have realized that we just agree on too many things. And we apologize to, to the listeners because we think this podcast would be more fun if we, you know, could yell at each other a little bit. So... We'll, gonna... we'll find something in season that we disagree yeah. about. Don't worry. So anyways, my ballot, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Derek Teeter, Andrew Jones, Manny Ramirez, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, Sammy Sosa, and Larry Walker. So the only difference between me and Ty's ballot is that he had Wag- Billy Wagner and I went with Gary Sheffield instead, 10th vote. Yeah, so the reason that I went with Wagner over Sheffield is that I I just think with the recent influx of some relievers making the Hall of Fame, you know, Mariano getting in, Lee Smith getting in, um, Trevor Hoffman getting in, I just think that it would be unfair to not put Billy Wagner in as well. Billy Wagner, the um, highest... The highest strikeout rate, 11.92 strikeouts per nine. That That's the best in the history of baseball among pitchers with 900 or more innings. Like, he was just a, an extremely dominant relief pitcher. I think he was better than Trevor Hoffman, who got in. Wagner doesn't have the same type of save numbers, but he was just, I'd say... Uh, at his peak, he was about as dominant as Mariano Rivera and was he was definitely he was just better than Trevor Hoffman and is in the same category as some of the best relievers to ever play the game. So that's the reason that I went with Wagner with my 10th pick. I think that if I had unlimited picks, I would definitely pick Sheffield as well. Um, but he, I, ju- I just think that I had to go with Wagner for this one over Sheffield. Yeah, and I I do concede, like, Wagner, definitely better than Hoffman, better than Lee Smith, um, arguably the second best reliever of all time, 
Um, but just, you know, personally, I just, while, you know, there's that precedent that's set, I just think that guys who played every day and not only played every day, but, you know, a reliever, you know, comes in for inning a game. And I know that's kind of an old time argument. And that's not like, I think that Billy Wagner should be a Hall of Famer at some point. But I also think that just given how good Gary Sheffield was, um, you know, and, and a couple of the other guys I put votes in for over Wagner, um, I just thought those guys maybe deserve it more. But I do think that Wagner should get in at some point. Like Ty, like you said, if there were unlimited votes, I, I would have definitely given one to Wagner, but there are not. Yeah, and since there are a limited amount of votes, obviously I am not an actual Hall of Fame voter, but if I was, you know, for this exercise, I just went with the 10 that I found most deserving. But in real life, if I didn't, if I had a Hall of Fame vote and I was worried about players maybe falling off the ballot that I thought were Hall of Famers or were close to being Hall of Famers and should have more years of consideration, um, maybe I don't vote for, for Jeter and I give a vote to Abreu or Helton or somebody like that just to kind of assure that they stay on the ballot. Uh, you know, not not voting for somebody in that circumstance, I think, makes sense just because there can be more than 10 Hall of Famers on a singular ballot. So having that limit doesn't make a whole lot of sense, in my opinion. So that that's definitely something I would consider as a voter. I don't blame people who just pick their best 10, but I think kind of playing that game when you think there are more worthy candidates, um, I think that makes sense as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you look at some of the guys who have fallen off the ballot. And, like, Johan Santana, I think there's an argument to be made that he should be a Hall of Famer, considering his peak, but he's not even on the ballot anymore because he fell off. Um, it's going to be the same thing with Cliff Lee. Uh, probably probably not quite a Hall of Famer, but probably also shouldn't be falling off the ballot in his first year, and he probably will. Um, so I, I definitely agree with your point there. Uh, the one guy, even if I had unlimited votes, who I, I'm just, I've been getting on in arguments about this today, so I just want to talk about Omar Vizquel, not a Hall of Famer, one of the most overrated players of all time, um, liked because he had a bunch of hits and played for 24 years, overrated defensively, got some gold gloves, whatever, not as good as Andrew Simmons, and not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I would not vote for Vizquel. Um, kind of the comparison that I made on Twitter today was Andrew Jones was the center field equivalent of Vizquel's defense when he was at his peak, and then combine that with one of the better power hitters in baseball, and that was Andrew Jones, um, somebody who I really think should be a Hall of Famer, had 50-homer type of pop uh, when he was at his peak, and his defense was arguably the best center field defense in the history of baseball. So I'm I'm more of a peak Hall of Fame guy. I'm I'm not, you know, obviously playing twenty something years in the big leagues is a huge, huge accomplishment, and usually means that you're pretty good. But I'd rather somebody who was great for a shorter period of time than somebody who is just good to very good for a long time, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I also think that, like I said, Vizquel, 
this guy was a really good uh, shortstop. He was, I don't think he was as good as some people think, um, especially the more advanced metrics don't give him quite as much credit. They still, you know, say he was pretty good, but like I said, Andrew Simmons, way better defensive shortstop. Meanwhile, Andrew Jones, probably one of the best defensive players of all time. Um, I know that fan graphs defensive value metric has him like sixth best uh, ever. And he was the best center fielder of his generation, um, defensively at least. And he, you know, he hit nukes. And I just think that he is well, I agree with you. He's much more qualified than a player like Vizquel. But yeah, that'll, I, unless you have anything to add, I think that'll wrap up this episode of the Phillies Nation podcast. There you have our Hall of Fame votes, uh, if we actually had one, but that would be our ballot. Um, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. Johnny, do you have anything to add real quick before we end? I do not. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening once again, and we will talk to you next week. You can listen to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller every Wednesday on philliesnation.com and all streaming services.